Welcome back, listeners, to another episode. We've got probably a podcast regular, Chris Lawson. From, most frequent. Uh, most frequent, I think he is. I think he is, actually, yeah. Yeah, uh, num- um, number one. Um, from CRU, uh, head of head of fertilizer, uh, coming in all the way from uh, from New York City, live from New York, the city that never sleeps. He's he's decided to take uh, some some time off from his nightclubbing and whatnot. He was supposed to be going out for a few drinks with Fifty Cents and Frank Sinatra, but he's uh, he decided, <laughs> he decided he's... to start to start spreading the news about fertilizer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Yeah, pleasure to be here again, guys. The Fifty Cent and Frank Sinatra of Ag. Um, so yeah, it's a pleasure to be here again. Thanks for having I, me on. I, I actually thought it was the Proclaimers of Ag, but anyway, yeah. um, I thought it was the. I think we've been talk, called the B one and B two. I think that's more like it. More like it. We've heard far worse things about us anyway. Uh, but clearly, Matt's Fifty Cent. Um, so. Before we get into it, we've, we've, we, you, you mentioned before we got on this podcast that do I have to do that bloody psychological test? Uh, I think it's important that you do the psychological <laughs> test because of the fact that you've been on so often. You know, it means there's clearly, clearly something wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> so we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Bad judgment. <laughs> Bad judgment, most likely, yeah. I think that's fairly clear, yes. But um, <clears throat> anyway, if I have to do it, then I'll have to do it. Then I'll, yeah, go ahead and do it. Right, so for, for, for new listeners, it's a word association test where we take the results and then we provide a psychological report back to the back to Chris to let him know if he is uh, mental or not. So uh, we'll give you a word. You give us the first thing that pops to mind. Matt, you go first. Ukraine. A glorious country. Cricket. Uh, the best sport in the world. 50, 50 cent. What a guy. I was going to say half a dollar. but <laughs> <laughs> well, When he toured Australia, he changed his name to 75 cent. Very good. That's What's epic. the butt of that, that joke? That, that, I don't quite get that one. That, that's, an, that's an FX joke, Chris. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> I get it. I thought he might have been going down there. But, but, but funnily enough, if you actually look on Spotify or YouTube, there is a parody version of 50 Cent with a UK rapper called 50 Pence, which is actually quite funny. Crocs. Uh, unfashionable. Mm. Fertiliser market. Volatile and much more interesting than what everyone gives it credit for. Black pudding. Delicious. I think we did one extra there, didn't we? Yeah, I, just wanted, to, I wanted to try and catch him out somewhere. He's a bit too polished. <laughs> uh, Not my first radio, guys. Not my first radio, but yes. Um, we'll, very, have to add, very we'll, good. we'll have to add in a different psychological test next time, actually. So, Chris, the idea was get you on, talk about what's happening in the fertilizer space. It's a pretty interesting time for, obviously, a lot of Australian farmers at the moment, uh, not far away from seeding. So I guess time is ticking down on that decision that they've got to make. You know, most of the fertilizer is going to be bought in the next, what, three to four months, give or take. So they're running out of time. And so you need to tell them what to do. Give them some advice on what's happening around the world. 
Uh, of course, I can give you some uh, insights into what is going on around the world, but of course, I'm not going to be providing any uh, advice on when they should be or shouldn't be purchasing their fertilizer. That's a, that's a little bit of a stretch for for mine, but um, a wink, wink, yeah. nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so so so, let's do a bit of a recap first. Fertilizer prices have gone mad in the last nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has been the cause of that? Yeah, so to in, in to, layman's terms, to yeah, to kind of so, so that uh, Matt can understand <laughs> the 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 if we break it down to three main reasons um, for yeah the the high prices that we've seen kind of over the past twelve months or so, it is supply disruptions around the world across uh, all the different nutrients: nitrogen, phosphates, and potash. Uh, those supply disruptions, I mean, weather-related, geopolitical-related, uh, trade barrier-related. So that's been one main reason, and that's been very, very significant. Uh, another reason uh, has been the extraordinarily high gas prices, which is in itself a supply disruption as well. Uh, that raises the cost of fertilizer production. It's caused a lot of uh, producers in various different parts of the world, particularly Europe, to shut down. Uh, and really tightened the, well, raise the cost floor, but also tightened supply and demand balance. And thirdly, there's been really, really good demand all around the world. Uh, as most of the listeners to your show will know that agricultural prices have been very strong uh, and that's been very supportive uh, for farmers wanting to buy fertilizer. And so if you combine those three together, uh, it results in some very, very high prices. So going back to the geopolitical, yeah. So really, it's, it's energy is the is the sort of the epicenter of it, yeah, and it flows out from there. So those geopolitical events, we had a couple. You know, China has banned export of fertilizer. How long is that going to last? Is that is it going to yeah, be? Yeah. So we when we last uh, spoke on this this podcast, it was around the time that China had I think, implemented. I think, I think it was four hours after. It was very, (laughs) very fortuitously timed. Um, So, and I I was obviously listened back to that, but I kind of vaguely remember saying that it's not an outright ban. They are still going to be exporting small volumes, but they're raising the export barriers. And that's pretty much what we've seen happen. Um, And yeah, there's been very small amounts of uh, fertilizer that have been able to leave China over these past couple of months. But what the government has said uh, has essentially occurred and they've raised those barriers and it's been very, very difficult uh, for traders to get their hands on Chinese material uh, to send around the world. That, the Chinese government have done that uh, to protect their domestic market, to lower their, their domestic fertilizer prices, which they have had some success in doing. Perhaps they're not as, as low as what they would like. Um, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what has happened. Um, I think in December... Uh, the phosphate exports, for example, were 90% lower than what they were in the year before, for example. So that just gives you a, a bit of an idea of uh, those restrictions that have been in place. Um, in terms of when they're going to uh, last until, there's quite a varied opinion out there of uh, different people in the market, the, the people that we speak with on the trading side or uh, distribution side of the market. Um, some people think that they will come back over the coming couple of months, uh, but we're of the view that the, they're more likely to continue with this current policy until around June or July of this year. 
Which is which which is what the government has officially sort of said, wasn't it? June, July. So they're going to, you think they're yeah. going to stick to their guns, which I think is probably typical behavior for China, isn't it? To come up with a rule and then stick to it until yeah. it's, until it, the end. It, in, exactly, and there, there are a number of reasons for this. You know, they want to make sure they've got their own domestic supply secured. Um, you know, there are production issues there themselves. Kind of again, when this whole policy was announced, part of the the view here that we took was this is essentially Chinese government hedging its bets. So it's not just Europe that is facing very high energy costs right now. China has been was probably facing higher energy costs well before Europe was. So, and they've, they've got different things like the Olympics that they're trying to manage pollution levels for. They are, they do have slightly lower output right now and they're hedging that. So they continue to get that domestic supply and they're not exporting the kind of excess. Chris, um, Andrew mentioned about sticking to your guns and uh, during the, the site test, you very skillfully avoided my um, probe about the Ukraine with your answer of being a beautiful country. Yeah, that's, but- a tr- that's true. It's a beautiful country. Yep, I'm sure. I haven't been, but I'm sure it is. Um, but obviously, the, the, the big kind of talking point at the moment is the tensions between Russia and the Ukraine from a geopolitical perspective, moving away from China quickly. Um, what, what, what does that kind of situation mean broadly for, for the FERT market um, in terms of what's going on over there for, from, from your, guys, your reading? What's the major risk if something was to happen? Okay, well, FERT, before I do answer that, I'm going to pull you up on something, Matt, that's been irking me over the past couple of weeks in, in listening to your podcast, something I was taught very early in my career. It's <laughs> Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Um, so it, it right. is... It okay, is thank a, you. Thank, we're always... Yeah, we're so, always well, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say that Australia, Matt, would you? No, that's true. That's yes, true. So at the risk of sounding like we'll, a, edit, we'll edit this out anyway yeah, yeah well, we, don't, we don't we don't we don't we don't usually edit out anything apart from the criticism of us what is it with the name chris you've got uh, chris, you've got chris hoiberg yeah. uh, <laughs> saying we talk too much about the motherland and now we've got and and, and tangents and tangents <laughs> and now we've got the uh no, I think that's good. I think I think it shows oh, a level of, shows a little level of comfort that Chris is able to correct my um, poor yeah, use of terminology. Yeah, but he's not coming on again, though. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. I think you will be on again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fertilizer markets might get boring again. You might not want to have me again, but um, I, hope, I don't think that's going to happen at, at any point over the next couple of years. But. Yes. Uh, sorry for being slightly condescending there, Matt. But um, no, that's all right. No, you, to, no, that's all right. <laughs> no, you deserve your, it. It deserves it. You. So, so, yes. in, so, 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 what do you think? In the in the Ukraine, what do you think is the risk? Uh, so, Ukraine itself is not a uh, big fertilizer producer anymore. It was kind of once was, but its production costs have become quite high over the past. Uh, 10 years or so is its cost of gas is, is increased significantly. So we don't see as much fertilizer exported out of Ukraine anymore. Um, but the, the kind of implications of any action in Ukraine could you know, be very, very significant for the fertilizer market uh, with Russia. It is a huge, <clears throat> sorry, it is a huge, huge supplier of uh, nitrogen fertilizers, uh, it's, uh, you know, for ammonium nitrate, which is not a fertilizer that's used in, in Australia, it's, it supplies around 
half of global supply. Uh, for urea, it's well over 10% of, of global exports uh, Russia is responsible for. And uh, UAN, it's also a significant exporter of, of that as and, well. So. And so, so does that, when, when Russia is exporting, is that all going through the Black Sea? Uh, not all through the Black Sea. There's some that goes through the Baltic Sea. There's even some potash. So Russia exports around 20% of uh, global potash. Uh, I think it's a little bit under that at the moment, but they're getting bigger and bigger. There's some of that that, um, that goes through uh, inland into across the Chinese border. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's through, through there, through the Baltic Sea and through the Black Sea. But that's, that's, that's a good point you made. Though. Like a lot of the focus, we see a lot of focus on grains. People saying, oh, well, if the Ukraine got into a conflict with Russia, there would be an impact of X volume of tonnage because of how much the Ukraine produces. But it's actually wider than that because obviously it's not just that area it would be impacted. That's the point we made in the past is that it also impacts flows from Russia, potentially Kazakhstan yeah. and others. So, but it's interesting to know. So in terms of that uh, that volume of exports that Russia does, what is their general, I don't need a breakdown, but what is their general sort of uh, export destination? Europe or... Yeah, look, quite a lot into Europe, uh, fairly active into the US as well and, and into okay. Brazil. Uh, we see a bigger kind of Russian <clears throat> footprint in, in Brazil right now. Um, there's even stuff that lands in Australia. So Russia does export UAN, for example, into Australia, which uh, we've always scratched our head about a little bit because UAN is predominantly water. So they're kind of exporting water and a bit of nitrogen. Uh, from one side of the world to the other, but that's kind of, the, it's a very concentrated market, that one. Water, water, um, is, water is pretty expensive here. If you look at my rates bill, it's pretty expensive now. <laughs> yes, if you add a bit of nitrogen into it, then it's even more expensive. I've, I've actually, um, before, before, we, before we go on here, I've got a fact for you. Yeah. On uh, You might not know this, and, and I've told Matt about this on the weekend. Uh, mm. Do you know an alternate source of urea? Well, that's a bit broad. It'd be a bit more specific. What about a, that, that's, an, that, that, is, that is specific to Australia or, or quite common in Australia? I have a feeling this is going to veer into pig manure territory again. You're on a similar pathway there, but it's animal-based, but not, not um, pig animal-based. It's think more reptile-based. Brown snakes. Interesting. There you go. So I this is a, this is a, you know a Hoiberg tangent here. Tangent, but I, went, uh, I went. I've not been in my shed for about two months, and I went in there and um, I saw something in the corner of my eye. I thought it was a blue tongue scuttled behind a, a, a wall, and then I found what looked to be a feces, which looked like a cat feces, and I thought, well. How the hell can a cat get in here? I can understand how a reptile gets in. So I did a bit of Googling, and it turns out that a cat, uh, a snake poo is like a normal finger-sized poo with, with a very solid white cap on it. And that white cap is pure urea. Really? That is true. So, And I found a few of them, so I've clearly got a snake pit. And... Uh, <laughs> So and he's got, opening up a he's opening up a urea stand at the uh, front uh, of his house. Yeah. So, if in doubt, if we're worried about domestic supply of urea, then all we got to do is just capture all the brown snakes and start harvesting them for the for their manure. So, 
as much as we, 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 we we're not going to talk about pig manure in this one because we'll, we'll just leave that but it's Good. alternate sources would be uh, snake manure and if you Sorry. google it you'll find out that is true mm. and um, i wish I, I wish i didn't have to know that because i only had to search it because i found one in my shed well but it's a bit of a, a it's a bit of a 50 cent reference there as well it's 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 popping a cap out of its ass yeah <laughs> Very good. Uh, very rarely can we say these days when someone says they've done their own research that we get a, a nugget of gold like that. So that is uh, uh, there was, a no, nugget. There was a nugget. That's what you did there, Chris. That's what you did there. So I can't remember where we were. You, well, uh, Chris was telling us about the impact. Export, of, export, <laughs> export markets what, for Russian um, fertilizer. Are there any, well, more broadly in that region, though, the immediate kind of countries around. Ukraine and Russia, is there, are there any spillovers or anything kind of happening elsewhere? Yes, of course. Well, uh, if we cast our mind back all the way to last year, there was a the Ryanair flight, which was brought down uh, for, uh, I think it was in Lithuania, maybe, I can't, or in Russia, I can't quite remember the exact destination, but uh, that has resulted in some fairly severe sanctions on Belarus. Mm. Uh, Belarus is a massive potash supplier, uh, bigger than Russia. They do over 20% of global potash exports. Potash is a very, very consolidated market. It's pretty much uh, Canada, Belarus, and Russia that have a they're, they're very much the largest share of that market. Um, and yeah, since the middle of last year, there's been these sanctions looming and they have really uh, kind of set in uh, this year. So Yara, who's the biggest fertilizer names out there, they've been a big customer of um, Belarus for some time with their potash. They've said uh, just in the last month that they will no longer be buying Belarusian potash. So they've got to find over a million tons of potash a year from somewhere else. Uh, there is uh, sanctions that mean that Europe, for example, or, or the US will not be able to import that Belarusian potash anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of that gives us a bit of a taste of. Not so much what could be to come, but just some of the implications that happen when uh, different countries get sanctioned. Again, we're not saying that Russia is going to have the same. We don't know what's going to happen over the coming few weeks and months. We, we don't know what kind of sanctions are going to be applied, whether they're kind of sanctions targeted at individuals or whether they're kind of broader industry sanctions. We just don't know that or if there are any going to be any sanctions at all. But again, that gives us a, a nice little... Uh, insight into uh, how some of this works. And again, we've, we've thought that perhaps because of the importance of uh, Belarus to global fertilizer supply and the, the inflationary pressures that farmers around the world are facing at the moment with input costs and also uh, very high agricultural commodity prices, that there may be uh, some consideration for that within this, these sanctions. But um, yeah, different governments have taken a fairly hard line and it hasn't that hasn't really been a, a factor as of yet. And Russia has also brought out their own uh, export ban or halted exports on the end for the next two months. Mm -hmm. What impact will that have? Um, it's, again, the, the flow of AN from Russia, for the most part, goes into Europe. It's a two-month uh, kind of ban that's being put in place so Russia can... Uh, concentrate on its own domestic market. That makes sense to us in terms of the, the seasonal timing of when that ammonium nitrate is needed. You know, Russian farmers will be coming out of their 
winter soon, looking to kind of fertilize those winter crops and, and planting their spring crops. So they'll need that nitrogen. So it makes sense to us. Again, lots of people are speculating it might be something more to it around the geopolitics uh, and given Russia's kind of, uh, sorry, and given Europe's uh, reliance on, on Russia for ammonia nitrate, and given that Europe is already facing a number of challenges with uh, high production costs there due to the very high gas prices. But we don't think that that's a, a massive factor uh, in that decision. Because that's, that's one, like I was going to get you to dispel some conspiracy theories or, or tell us if there's any <laughs> warrant in them. One of the conspiracy theories we hear is, or when I look around, I spend we spend too much time on Twitter probably, but you, you, you see a lot of conspiracies. Uh, the ammonia nitrate ban is only because they need it for the bombs. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, the price of fertilizable crash as soon as the Beijing Olympics is finished is a common one we hear. Um, because China's holding back the price because... Um, they want to uh, obviously keep the, the skies clear for for uh, for Beijing. Uh, that's that's the two ones I hear quite often, uh, more more than I would expect it to. Yeah, well, I mean, ammonium nitrate is used for explosives, but it's a different density of ammonium nitrate that is used in for for that um, rather than the the fertilizer grade stuff. So I don't think there's uh, too much weight we can throw behind that particular uh, See, this, this, theory. This is, this is why we get the fact checker on. <laughs> <clears throat> and when it comes to uh, prices collapsing after China is finished with the Olympics, uh, perhaps there's, I don't know, there's no credibility to that one. Uh, perhaps <laughs> it's a little more believable, I guess, um, because it is true that uh, around big events such as the Winter Olympics that China does uh, restrict industrial production to control pollution. That's nothing new. We've seen them do that for many, 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 many years now. Uh, does that mean that they're just going to be producing, just switching the plants back on to produce million, millions and millions of tonnes of urea to flood the market with straight afterwards? That's not really the case. Again, China is still facing a, a number of issues when it comes to energy, uh, coal availability and, and things like that. And you know, that also kind of factors into their supply and demand. Um, and again, they're very much concentrating on their domestic market at the moment. Again, it is one of our risks to our outlook that China does return to the market earlier than what we anticipate them to. But our view right now is that, that they're not going to come back uh, until uh, at least June, July. So, so let's jump into the actual actual pricing. Like that, that gives us a bit of the background on, on, on how we've got to where we are. But pricing in the last, like let's talk about urea first, yeah? Mm -hmm. So urea has been a bit bouncy the last month or so since Christmas. What What's happening there? It's been very bouncy. Uh, speaking with a trader in the US the other day, he said this has been trading in different ag markets for 20 years and this is <clears> the most <throat> volatile market he's ever seen. And it's it just, it's totally ridiculous the the levels of, of bumps that we're seeing and i don't think uh, we work with lots of different experienced industry heads and yeah they, they haven't seen anything quite like this in the space of a month um we started the year with prices coming down you know almost a hundred dollars a week for the first two to three weeks of the year uh last week our price assessments bounced up another hundred 
Uh, this week, we're getting some indications from you know, big Indian tenders and some of the, the paper markets, which we keep an eye on that uh, those prices are going to come crashing back down again. And uh, then you know, we may well see them bounce back up again next week. It is uh, totally uh, bizarre. It's a very, very difficult one to read at the moment. And uh, if you're a trader, a very different one to, what's to take the, a position what, what, on. What's, what's driving that volatility then? Um, so there has been, again, fertilizers is a very, very seasonal market. And right now we're in a relatively quiet part of the year. Um, and there's been a bit of a supply overhang as we got into last year. Lots of the plants that were down because of the high gas prices were able to ramp back up again because fertilizer prices got high and they could make some margin. So some of those plants came back. Um, some of the plants that you know, kind of endured uh, supply disruptions last year, they were running pretty hard again. And again, those prices more than incentivized producers to be doing that. So there's a bit of a supply overhang. Again, India is one of the, the key markets that we look at uh, in their December tender. They took less than what many people anticipated. So again, that kind of overhang left you know uh, quite a lot of product to, to sell on the market. And yeah, as a result, we saw prices really coming down quite hard. And you know now we're at the point of the year where uh, different buyers are looking to step back into the market. They've been comfortable to step back into the market because we have seen such strong declines over the past couple of weeks. So there's a bit of a resurgence uh, in demand. Um, India also tended again. And surprisingly, again, to focus on India, this week uh, with the kind of offers that came in there, there was one particular offer which was very, very low that has really shocked the market and uh, has prices kind of coming back down again. And to, to kind of going to some very industry specifics there, but it kind of goes with the narrative that we've been saying for a, a while now that you know we're not going to permanently see urea prices at eight nine hundred dollars a ton. There is a decent amount of urea supply that is out there. Um, there are a number of projects that are commissioned over well just over the past six months or so, and it will be continuing to commission uh, over this year. Um, and yeah, that's kind of. It's the market doing its thing. Which is, look, that's one of the things we always said, and we spoke about in a previous podcast, I think, is that there's this tendency when the market's going up for people to say this is a new norm and it's going to be there mm. forever. We've heard it in wool, we've heard it in grains, we've heard it in timber. It was a good one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the last year has been just rife with people saying, oh, it's super cycles and, and whatnot. And I think we asked you last time if it was a super cycle or uh, do you think we're in a super cycle or... No, we're not. I mean, our view on this is that we're not going to see fertilizer prices at the ridiculously low levels that we saw them kind of through 2019 into 2020, basically when we first started to talk about talk fertilizers together. Um, you know, we're not going to get to those kind of levels again because we are in a very different world now. You know, gas is like we've talked about at the start here, the key driver to these markets, the key feedstock. Uh, gas markets uh, are unlikely to um, yeah, fall to those very, very low levels again because there is so much demand out there for gas right now as di you know, different countries look to, to change their en energy mix and look for lower carbon feedstocks, basically. So that means we're going to have you know, a slightly higher, well, a higher cost base in the future, but not a high enough cost base to support 
price is at eight nine hundred dollars a ton. Yeah. Uh, so in in looking at well, that referencing that, does that mean also, Chris, those kind of very high prices where we're not gonna we're not gonna be likely to see them again in the near term or the medium term? Or do you think, given the volatility and the uncertainty around what is going on in Ukraine, Russia, and supply chain generally, is there still a chance you could see, you know, disruptions that cause them to go back up to those heady levels? Yeah, I guess never say never. We we definitely don't that have enough. We don't have that in our forecast right now. Um, you know, we we think we see the market kind of smoothing out this year. We see nowhere near as many supply disruptions as were were faced last year. We see some of this new capacity coming online. Um, so that will ultimately bring prices lower. So we're not going to get to, when we look at our kind of internationally traded prices, uh, we're not going to get to those peaks that we saw, those record highs that we saw in November last year. We, we think that that is highly unlikely. The, the reaction of the fertilizer market so far when it comes to this Russia-Ukraine tensions has been very, very muted. Um, and again, it kind of goes to the point that, that you guys have been making over the past couple of weeks that, you know, that's thrown a lot of support behind wheat and corn markets. But lots of that is probably speculative trade. There's not a massive amount of speculative trade, if any speculative trade really, in, in fertilizers. Um, and the market hasn't really been too responsive to some of those threats just yet. So good point there. Like you made a point about uh, new facilities coming online and, you know, I guess high prices are the cure for high prices uh, and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Australia, we've got, uh, you know, a handful of new facilities on the horizon. Uh, Lee Creek, uh, they're talking about a million tons. Strike Energy, million tons. Perdamon was, was the one. Yeah. So that got a, that got a, what two hundred million dollar investment from the government last week. Mm-hmm. Um, that mean if if look let's say, let's say hypothetically all four of them all three of them sorry uh, came online and and they're producing four million tons. That's a fairly hefty volume for a country that you know doesn't require or near that much. Mm-hmm. Does does that mean we would change? We'd obviously change from a, a straight export importer to a, you know, a straight exporter, really. That we'd have. Yeah, and, uh, and again, we have to remember that, you know, like many agricultural markets, fertilizers is very, very seasonal. You don't need urea or phosphates all year round. Um, so yeah, that that kind of excess uh, capacity will. will be exported and there'll be lots of exports in the, the quieter parts of, of the year where the, the domestic distribution system isn't being restocked. So yeah, we're, we're watching those clo- those projects very closely. Uh, we think about their competitiveness in terms of the gas prices that they're going to be paying uh, and you know, the competitiveness against the Middle Eastern producers, Southeast Asian producers, uh, China and, and other parts of the world too. Um, so yeah, it, they're they're very interesting projects. Um, it's been very it's been intriguing to see the government throwing support behind uh, projects which are at the very soonest kind of five years off of commissioning to solve a what is a pretty short term crisis. So um, that's some uh, interesting political logic right there. But um, yeah, there, there's still it's an election year, Chris. 
<laughs> gas, yeah, gas, is... gas will become in more ready supply for the next six months. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we just have to judge those projects on their their merits in terms of um, yeah. First of all, the, the permitting that they get, the offtake agreements that they get, but also the cost of production they're going to happen. Will they ultimately be competitive on the on the global stage? And um, that's a, what a lot of our research at crew kind of focuses on. But a long way away. It's not going to. I think a lot of people look at it as saying, "Well, that will fix us up." But that's not going to fix us up for this year. It's going it's to be a, a long, long period of time. And look, in in the longer term, it will be good for Australia farmers mm -hmm. in terms of almost guaranteeing access to supply when there yeah. is a COVID twenty eight or whatever. And yeah, but uh, as the as the podcast did with uh, Lee Creek was, you know, it's it's not it's not going to mean we're going to have significantly lower priced. Um, product than than no, what the global no. or what what the you know the, the you know port prices for ex, um, imported product are that's going to be, well, just, be just a little bit less. <laughs> well, but it, but it, but it guarantees you that you'll have enough yeah. supply in the country. Yeah, when you got places you know places that are restricting their own exports. Yeah, because it's because it's still going to be the most the, the local market is still going to be the most profitable. Well, not the most necessarily mm. the most profitable. But it's going to be the first port of call effectively from a geographic mm. advantage and logistics and supply chain although mm. although that that Perdamon one is up in northern western australia isn't it yeah northwestern australia so uh, strike so, energy is a little further south than that one uh, and that's yeah, Geraldton, yeah. yeah so to be honest west going from the north of western australia to to geelong or whatever or port campbell is probably easier but, to get it to indonesia in, indonesia and vietnam and whatever mm. else mm. so I guess the next question is uh, phosphate prices. Actually, they they pretty, they're not as volatile as urea. Uh, no, they're not. Um, again, the the China uh, export restrictions have a far greater impact on phosphates than what they do for urea. Uh, China is around is responsible for around twenty percent of global phosphate fertilizer exports, whereas a much smaller percentage, I think it's around five percent or something like that, for for urea. So that impact is is much more significant for phosphates, uh, and yeah, right now we we're in a, a kind of very weird situation where yeah, India, which is a key phosphate importer, again, uh, they're snapping up in every bit of available volume for phosphate because they just haven't bought enough over the past twelve months. So they're kind of desperate for products right now before their next uh, important planting season. Um, so they're snapping everything up and, and continuing to hold those international prices up. India typically sources a hell of a lot from China. They haven't been able to get that. So they've been getting that from all corners of the globe. Um, so that's, that's keeping phosphate prices higher. And again, we're expecting once China returns to the market, once we get a, a, some of the kind of supply issues smoothing out this year, we do anticipate phosphate prices to come lower. Uh, but can safely say that's not going to be soon enough for the Australian planting season. Well, that's what I was, that was the next point. It was uh, at the start we were talking about how time is ticking down on that decision-making process. You know, farmers are going to have to decide what they do. You know, in the next couple of months. But we've seen, obviously, seen you know, urea Middle East is probably 35% down on the December peaks. Um, but that still leaves it. You know, 800. Aussie dollar in the Middle East, obviously not including freight and logistics into into Australia, which is still a expensive price 
historically speaking. Mm-hmm. That's still okay. still a really high price. Like when we look at that as being more like a five hundred Middle East fob over the yeah, last it, over the last sort of ten years. It's it's an extraordinarily high price when you look at the historic curve. Yeah, but I don't think uh, I would have paid anywhere near that except for. 2008 2009 perhaps but um yeah it's it's a very high price and we've i think that fertilizer consumers who are a long way down a very long supply chain uh you know we can't get too excited um by some of these this price volatility that's happening from you know those international trades that are occurring um, it's it's not a liquid as, as market as, as that as, as what we would like. We're not going to see those prices pass through the supply chain straight away. Uh, lots of distributors will will work off kind of replacement costs, and they would have bought in some urea at high prices. Some will be bringing in urea at some of these lower prices as well. Um, but I guess Andrew and, and Matt, what's important is you know people are talking about it and interested in it. We get a we can shine a bit of light on, on what's happening in the market what's driving it and there is a you know at the moment there is a, a decent amount of competition in the australian fertilizer market at the distribution level which means that um you know hopefully farmers don't just have one person they have to go to there there is a bit more uh, com- competition in that market now than what there was perhaps maybe 10 or 20 years ago so again farmers are, are well-educated people and obviously even better educated if they're listening to podcasts like this uh, and they can be asking the questions around what prices uh, the the fertilizers come in at. Depends which one they listen to. If they listen to this one, yep. But then if they listen to, you know, one with just Matt and I, that probably downgrades their intelligence (laughs) somewhat. You know, it's a bit like uh, uh, positive and negative. It pushes apart uh, one another. But in terms of, but really, I guess that's sort of the same view that we've got that, you know the fertilizer price is is high, and mm. it's probably limited potential for massive downside over the next three months in Australia. Like yeah. it's we're like yeah. we're we're talking like urea in Australia is probably more like the thirteen hundred Aussie dollar. Yeah, and that's I, pop- I would say that it's it's not as doom and gloom as what people were perhaps thinking it was. Um, uh, you know, three or four months ago, where it was just, "Am I going to get my fertilizer for this year?" Yeah, I would think that people are probably a bit a bit more comfortable about that now. Um, there is, yeah, this price pressure that is going to come into the market. Another thing that's really important as well is the fact that freight rates uh, have come down quite okay. significantly yep. as well over over recent months. So there are some some kind of there is elements of relief, some levers of relief that are going to help out, but don't expect to be paying the same price as what you did in 2019 or 2020. There's a but, lot but, of things that have happened in the market since the last. But but, but but conversely, at the moment, we shouldn't be seeing any prices rise in Australia for the next three months. From 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 where they currently are. Yeah, in, in, I, I, in, I in, don't in theory. In theory, if we if we track what's happened in the international markets and. Uh, how much they have come down over this past month or so. Again, they're very volatile at the moment, but yeah, we, we're not going to get to those. We don't think we're going to have those same kind of November levels that we saw, which were a record for the market. But but that but what I'm, I guess what I'm meaning is, provided overseas values remain the same, like in the 800s, mm-hmm. 
we shouldn't really see much more increase in price for an Australian farmer who's buying in the next three months, provided the market stays flat. Because yeah. every, given every... given where we see, yeah, we see prices kind of flattening off over the coming couple of months um, with some of that demand returning and then coming back down again over the kind of the second quarter and, and back half of this year. Uh, that's kind of a, a very high level price forecast for you. Um, and again, there's obviously lots of risks that's associated with price forecasting, but that's how we're yep. seeing the market right now. It was, it's an interesting point you made there, Chris, around that initial fear, particularly for farmers, was I'm not going to get any fertiliser. So it became a real supply issue. And we saw... A similar 2020, you know, the, 2019, 2018, 2017. Well, no, I was going to say, even, even regards when we went through the ad blue crisis in diesel, there was this kind of henny penny style media approach where it was like, oh, the whole trucking industry is going to come to a halt in the next few weeks. But that was managed to be sorted out. And equally with the third side of things, yes, they're going to pay a higher price, but they're going to get it if they want it. Um, you know, I wonder how much of some of this, the, the initial reactions to these supply chain problems are uh, a little bit of media clickbait or trying to sell a, you know, sell a paper rather than, you know, actually what's occurring, you know, what's, what's going to occur. It seems like the supply chain manages, well, well, there, one, are, there are hiccups, but they manage to get, well, one of the, get one it of, moving. One of the interesting points, uh, I can't remember who I was speaking to, and it may be true, maybe not, uh, but basically the... Ad blue. The the big thing was we we've only got seven weeks of supply of ad blue, mm. but apparently we only ever have seven weeks of supply of ad blue. <laughs> so it's kind of like oh my goodness. Anyway, yeah, but there was yeah. a real there was a real kind of expectation. Oh yeah, like the, 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 the shops there, shops, shops gonna, yeah. your shops yeah. are gonna run out of toilet roll any day now. It's a, a Australian specialty. The uh, the um, yes, the hyper reactions to some of these different crunches that we uh, we see. I don't think it's a particularly proud trade of ours, but um, yeah, it's certainly I think there is an element uh, of that there for sure. So so yeah, we we should be fine. We should so we should have all we need. Fingers crossed. Touch wood. Now the thing is just farmers they got to choose when they buy it, and that's really their decision. And hopefully we've given them a mm. bit of a bit of ammunition, just like the Russians, uh, to to make a better decision. And... I'd say the Russians have a lot of ammunition, not just a bit of ammunition. Well, anyway. well, well, so I they... thought we dispelled that myth, guys. We mythbusted <laughs> that one, so let's not keep talking about it, please. <laughs> well, we didn't even we didn't even mention the great the great reset conspiracy theory, but I've, that one's just too far far gone for me. Um, I thought it was coming on to ag watchers, not QAnon. Um, or QAnon, whatever you call it. Uh, no, yeah. no, we, we don't believe in that stuff, but you come across it and you read it and you think, geez, so... Oh, here's another one, actually. Uh, there's, there's, there's weather modification occurring. And uh, every time... <laughs> every, every, every time the government puts down a new radar station to help farmers make decisions so they've got more real-time data on rain, that actually is there so they can modify the rainfall patterns to either give you or take away your rain. I have heard that one before, actually. <laughs> That's a particularly good one. I like that one. I, like that one. I wish they would do it over my house and, uh, you know, just stop the rain for a bit. Uh, but, but anyway, you know, times like this create conspiracies. 
Yeah, I thought you'd want the rain to come to flush away the nest of snakes you've got there. I'll probably flush well, them. Well, now that you're going, now that you're flush, going to be, flush them into my house. So. Now, now you're going to be a urea manufacturer. You might want to attract the snakes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Fuck that. Uh, so anyway, but hopefully we're we're getting to the silly stage now, oh. um, and and as as the mature one on the call, I think it's time to uh, to to move us along a bit. <laughs> And uh, thanks, Chris, for, for coming along and having a chat to us about fertilizer. It's always always interesting to to get you, your viewpoints. And, and again, like we say, like genuinely, hopefully farmers now have a bit more uh, knowledge, a bit more information on what is happening globally and a little bit more locally on what's happening with fertilizer. So they can hopefully move on for the next two or three months and make the decisions they make. At the end of the day, it's, it's their decision on how they do it. And... Uh, just remember, you can always get in touch with us for some access to pig manure or now our secondary product of um, urea snake poo from urea. Urea, there you go. Snake poo. <laughs> Fantastic, and and um, always as knowledgeable as ever on uh, on you know all things fertilizer and associated products, Chris, but also knowledgeable on Ukraine. So thanks for the uh, thanks for the update, and I'm sure Andrew will keep referring to him as the Ukraine. Just to annoy I, I, you, but, I, I will. I will from now on. I never before, but I I, I will be talking about the Ukraine in, in yeah. future, future episodes. Yeah. So uh, no, it was, it was fantastic, enlightening as always. Um. So thanks for coming on, and uh, see you when you get up and on. Ciao for now. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. Hey.